glad you're here this morning. Uh, last week, we took the week and just kind of cast vision of where we're headed as a church, uh, that we're really uh, a community connecting people to Christ, um, and, and that we carry out the one another's, and so we do that through small groups here. If you're not a part of a small group, that is probably the best way to get connected to our church, is by being a part of a small group. We have small groups um, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, so it just depends on what your schedule looks like. Um, if you want more information about small groups, just on your connection card, there's a little box there. Um, if you want more information, we'll just get, get in contact with you this week to let you know how you can get involved in a small group. Because that's really where the chairs turn, and you get to know each other, and you get to share life. Because um, that's what this walk with Christ is about. You're, you're walking with others. It's not an isolated walk. You're walking with others. Uh, you're helping them. They're helping you. You're carrying each other's burdens. You're celebrating their victories. It's kind of hard to do that if you just come Sunday morning. So I just want to encourage you, if you really feel like this is a part of, uh, if you feel like God's connecting you to MCF, then we would, we're asked, uh, and I want to challenge you, encourage you to be a part of a small group, because that's really how you're going to really get connected um, to this church. This week, we're jumping back into our series with David. So if you brought a Bible, turn with me to 2 Samuel. And I love this passage. Man, it just, it's been stirring my soul as I've been preparing. And this is really just a beautiful passage of where King David just really shows that he's this gracious, kind king. And uh, this is um, one of the, uh, you know, so far we've just kind of just lifted up David. Uh, we're going to make it a transition soon to where David does some really dumb things. Uh, and, and, and so um, I, I find encouragement in both, that he is this gracious, kind man, and I find encouragement that he's this gracious, kind man who makes mistakes and how God can restore someone who's been broken. And so the next, next month, it's going to be, hopefully we'll all be encouraged to see how God can restore anyone from anything. There's no sin too far where God can't restore you. Um, but this morning we're in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. And uh, starting in verse 1, so basically, uh, if, you have, if you've maybe missed the last couple weeks, David is at the point in his life where he is now the king. Saul, has, Saul the previous king, is dead. David is now, uh, all, he, he is the king over all of Israel he has some peace in his life, and um, God makes this incredible covenant with him back in chapter 7, and then in chapter 9, it's just, this is just a beautiful passage this morning. I pray that you're encouraged by God's word. And in verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That's a key phrase. For Jonathan's sake, David here is um, he's reflecting back to his, his promise that he made to Jonathan um, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. See, David, um, if you remember, Saul was the king. Saul needed someone to help fight uh, this giant named Goliath. David um, uh, accepted the challenge, defeated Goliath through God's um, power. Then Saul brought David into his family, um, and then David became really good friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. 
Scripture said that their soul was knit together. I, I love that picture of just being knit together. I pray that's what our church looks like, that our souls are being knit together. As we journey through life, that we're becoming one. There's just unity. And so Jonathan and David were really close friends. Uh, over time, Saul began to uh, become jealous over David, that David was getting all the fame. The ladies were praising David's name more than they were Saul. Saul was jealous. But Jonathan stood by David's side. He, he kind of uh, rejected his father and, and kind of aligned himself with David. And so David and Jonathan were really good friends. And in chapter 20, verse 42, uh, you'll see this. It says, Then Jonathan, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. At the end of 1 Samuel, there's this big battle takes place it's where Saul dies Jonathan dies in that same battle and so um, you know in, 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 in the kingdom when, when the king dies the son becomes the next king so Jonathan should have been the king he's dead so another son named Ishbosheth he became king and so he was kind of king of northern Israel David the people anointed him to be king of uh, the southern kingdom Judah Ishbosheth ends up dying. David is now over, he's the king over all of, of Israel. So he's here, David saying, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody that I can, that I can bless because of my love for Jonathan and that promise that we had from my offspring to your offspring forever? Is there anybody that I could bless? Verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now, I just want you to, um, to notice that here Ziba is saying, yeah, there's still, Jonathan still has a son. But notice that he identifies him with his disability before, he, before we learn his name. And I just wonder, you know, how many of you, um, you find your identity in something other than your name in Christ? That, um, like this, this man, he's identified by his his weakness, by his disability. I just wonder if some of you, you still cling to some kind of identity um, prior, you know, prior to Christ. You know, you used to be this, and that still kind of hangs over your head. And I think it's just interesting that here we see this, this young man, um, he's identified by his, uh, his disability. We find out about his disability back in chapter 4, uh, verse 4. Um, it says this, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was, um, uh, I always mess this name up, 
um, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And, and so here's this young man at five years old. His nurse is carrying him out. And the reason she's, uh, she's fleeing with him is because he's the son of this king. You know, his dad just died. His dad who just died, who was the king. So now, like, I've got to protect him because people are going to try to kill him. Uh, whoever's going to come in and take over, they're going to try to wipe him out. So Mephibosheth, with his nurse, they, f- they flee. Uh, verse 4, back in chapter 9. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Lodabar is just south of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so it's, uh, it's a little bit of a distance between um, Jerusalem, which is where um, Mephibosheth would have been born in Jerusalem, uh, up to Lodabar. But he's living in Lodabar. It literally means no pasture is what Lodabar means. Verse 6, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Let's stop there. This is beautiful. Think about this. So here's this man who's crippled, and he knows knows his, his, his grandfather was the king, that his father was the prince, the king to be. And so he knew who he was, and he knew that David was now the rightful king. So here he is, and we don't know how old he is at this point. But he, he's, he's, he's living, you know, maybe uh, a day's journey away. The word comes to him that David, the new king, wants to see him. Now, what do you think is going through this guy's mind? The new king wants to see me, I, and I am an heir of the old regime. I mean, typically if a new regime comes in, and you'll see this all throughout history, when a new regime comes in to a kingdom, they wipe out everybody from the old regime so that there's no chance that an heir from the old family could come and sit on their throne. So here Mephibosheth gets word that David wants to see him, bring him to Jerusalem. You know all the way there he's going, oh man, oh man, oh man, like, this is it. It's been a good life, but it's over. David's going to kill me. Because he found out that there's still a bloodline of Saul living. That's it. I'm done. And he arrives, and the first thing he does is what? He falls on his face, pays homage to, to David. And David says in verse 7, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of, your, of uh, Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. This is incredible. A um, couple things to highlight here. David finds kindness in Mephibosheth because of his, uh, for the sake of his father, Jonathan. And then uh, he tells him, do not fear. He said, you come here thinking that you're going to die, but I'm going to give you life. I'm going to bless you. And so David does something very interesting here. He brings him in, and uh, 
and he restores all the land that was to Saul, his father. Uh, and so Saul was from, remember there's 12 tribes in Israel. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So you have Jerusalem and the tribe of Judah. Benjamin was just the northern tribe above it. And so David says, I want to restore that, that land to you. It's yours. Take it. And then he says, also, I'm going to invite you to eat at my table. Now, I want you to think about what he's doing here. As he's giving this land to uh, uh, Mephibosheth, he's taking that land away from someone else. Not, not really the, the citizens there that, that, that are in the tribe of Benjamin, but he's taking it away from somebody else, David's sons. I mean, think about this. Who's invited at the table? I mean, you're talking about the king's table. The people there are going to be family, maybe close friends. Uh, but David's sons are going to be there. At this point, we know David has at least six sons. In Israel, in, in the way uh, Israelite family works is when the, when the father dies, the children receive the inheritance. The firstborn gets two-thirds of the, of the inheritance. The rest of the children split the other third. So here's this guy who comes in who's really an enemy. I mean, him coming in to be part of this family uh, is very risky. At any moment, he, this guy could raise up his own little group and say, I, this throne should be my throne. I have this, you know, I'm from the bloodline of Saul, the first king. It should go to me, if anyone. Not David and his children. So here, it's risky that David invites him along to be a part of this. He sets him at his table. What we don't see, though, is how the other sons respond to this. I'd love to see their reactions. When, when they're finding out that here David's bringing this other guy in, and David's giving them, or giving him, a part of their inheritance. So as he gives to Mephibosheth, he's taking away from these other sons that he has. Uh, if you think New Testament, is this not very much like the prodigal son? The prodigal son, um, you see this story where this master, he had two, two sons. The younger one goes away and uh, blows all of his inheritance. Asks his father, Father, can I, have your, can I go and have my inheritance now? He gives it to him. He runs away, blows it all. When he comes back, at some point, you know, he blows it all and he's, he's eating with the pigs. And he's like, I just need to go back and work for my father. He, I know he, don't, he won't want me as a son anymore, but I'm just going to go back and just beg him to just have a job. So he comes back and he begs. Uh, he's got this idea, I'm going to, as soon as I see my father, I'm going to beg him for a job. We'll beg his forgiveness. What he doesn't know is the father has been looking for him every day. And so on his way back, the father sees him, uh, and they run and embrace each other. And that son doesn't even have a chance to, to say, you know, uh, please just take me back. Let me be a servant to you. I won't even be a son. The father embraces him, tells him how much he loves him. And he says, let's go have a party. And this is the part of the story that most of us miss, is when they have the party, the older son, who has been back at home, being faithful to his father. Here's this party. 
And he says, what's all the party? You know, why, why, are they, why, is, what's, why are we having a party? Why is there the fattened calf that's being slaughtered? And the father says, your, son, your brother has returned. And we're going to have a big party for him. Now, get this. That brother gets so mad and bitter towards his brother. Because he's been home and he's being faithful. He's like, where's my party? I've been faithful this whole time. Where's my party? And so he's, he's jealous that the father's attention has shifted to his, the lost son. But there's another part of this story that's interesting. Is that the brother, in addition to the attention going to his, his brother, he's also upset because the fattened calf, who does it belong to? It belongs to him now. See, the younger brother had gone and blew all of his inheritance. So when he comes back, and now he's spending his father's money, now he's spending the other brother's money. And so here you've got a very similar story of here this enemy of the king comes in, and now the king is blessing him, and as he blesses him with his riches, he's taking riches away from the other heirs to the throne, to, this, uh, to the inheritance. But we don't see the other son's response. But David says, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore all of your land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. The idea of eating at the table, that's a special place to be. It's a place of provision. I mean, think about, here's this guy who's crippled, probably couldn't work. So I bet, you know, finding food in this time was difficult. You had to work for your food. And so here, uh, probably struggled through life. Um, but the table of the king, man, you knew that was provision. If anybody, like when time of famine comes, the king is not going to go without. He's going to have his food, and everybody at that table will be provided for. And I love thinking about this table. Look at uh, Psalm 23, I have this verse on the screen for us, Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is that beautiful psalm, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you go down to verse 5 and it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, this is the king inviting enemies to the table, he's anointing you, the anointing here is it's a place of honor. I'm anointing you. That means you're, you're someone special. And in that psalm, God is anointing you as someone special, that you're, you're eating at the table. And so back in 2 Samuel 9, uh, verse 8, he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? I think this is a beautiful response. He knew that he was dead. He should have died when Saul's family was wiped out. Mephibosheth, his days were, were numbered. And he knew um, when he comes that he should have died. But yet he says, who am I that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He, he, he knew his, he knew what, was, uh, what, what should have faced him when he got to Jerusalem that day. But instead of death, he was handed life. Verse 9, Then the king called Ziba 
Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants uh, shall tend the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your grandson, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. I, I think it's interesting here that he's always invited to eat at the table, but yet David even added more blessings upon that. Like, not only can you eat at my table, you're also going to have bread. Whenever you need bread, bro, like, just go eat it. Uh, and so he gives them um, bread, you know, produce for him to eat. Zeba and his children are going to take care of it. We see how many he has. It says, now Zeba had... 15 sons and 20 servants. So these servants became um, Mephibosheth's servants. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, according to all my Lord, the king commands his servants. So will the Lord, um, uh, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So here's this picture that David is adopting him into his family. Just as one of his sons, he's drawing him in. I, I hope that you can see where we're headed in this passage. That you can see the picture of the New Testament for us. Verse 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son that, whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Again, look how he's identified. He, he, we, we began this chapter with him being identified with his lameness, and it ends with his lameness. That his identity was rooted in that. Um, when we look at this passage... Where do we see God at work? Where do we see God in this? Where do we see us? Uh, I think it, it's a little bit obvious um, in, in some ways. In some ways, it's not as obvious. But I think um, when we look at this passage and we see Mephibosheth, I think he points us to us. I think he, he, I think he points to a picture of who we are. I mean, think about this. He was born into a rejected family. Uh, Saul, because of Saul's disobedience, God removed the throne from him. Saul said, or God said to Saul, you will no longer be king. I'm taking the throne from, away from you because you have been disobedient. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So um, Mephibosheth came from a rejected family because of disobedience. You and I, we were born into a rejected family. We, that Romans 5 passage is talking about our father, Adam. That because of his disobedience, we are part of that rejected family. So we both come from this rejected family. We both have experienced a fall and could not walk. For uh, Mephibosheth, it was, it was a physical fall. He was lame in his feet. He was crippled. Um, and he could not walk. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this, and you were dead in the, tra- in, in the trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we, before Christ, before our, our identity has been changed, we were lame spiritually. We could not walk. Um, in his ways, in a pleasing way. We walked um, in, in, in our trespasses, in our sins. Uh, we were lame, Scripture tells us, um, that we were broken. And so Mephibosheth was physically crippled, lame. We, prior to Christ, when we were born, uh, we are... Uh, we are spiritually lame. That's why we need to be born again. Also, we both are without hope. Here, Mephibosheth, he's, he lived in Lodabar. And I mentioned that means literally no pasture. Uh, so he's living in a place where um, he couldn't work the field anyways. But even if he could, it was, it was, of, uh, it was just dry land. There's nothing in his land that could satisfy him. Uh, he had no hope of being satisfied. That's, what, that's where you and, are, you and I are um, without Christ. We have no hope. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy you. Maybe some of you, you're chasing after things in this world. You're thinking, man, if I just had this relationship, if I just had this thing, this material, if I just had this job, if I just had this status, then I would be satisfied. I'm just, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to search the scriptures because those things will not satisfy you. They will leave you empty just as a load of bar left those people empty. You will not be satisfied from things of this world. We are without hope. Both you and I can relate to Mephibosheth um, that we need help from a king. He had, he had uh, no wealth, no future, no hope. This king comes in and provides for him, provides a table. Whatever you need, it's yours. I mean, you think about that. It's incredible. He goes from a place where there's you know, no hope to just incredible hope, always going to be provided for. You talk about good food. You know the king just going to have good food. And he's just going to be sitting there. He's going to have three meals a day. Anything that he needed, David would provide for him. He has servants now to take care of him. Uh, he needed help from the king. So do we. We can't do anything without King Jesus. We need help from the king. So in this passage, we see how Mephibosheth relates to us. We relate to him. Then we also see David here. David's being like this this Christ-type figure. He's being, he points us to Jesus. So David, we see David in verse 1 taking the first step. He reaches out. Mephibosheth doesn't come to David and fall and say, please, take me in as one of your children. Doesn't happen that way. You see King David going to Mephibosheth. 
seeking him out. So it is with us. Not one of us came to the king without the king first coming to us. Christ has been seeking us out. He sought us out way before we started searching him out. He was so gracious to come to us. So maybe you come this morning and you think, man, like, I'm just kind of searching right now, and I don't really know a lot about God. I'm not really a Christian, and so I'm just going to seek out church this morning. Just know this. If that's your mindset, know that God has already been working in your heart. The reason that you even desire to come seek him is because he's given you that desire. And so God takes that first step just as David took this first step. David acted um, for Jonathan's sake. We see that in verse 1 and in verse 7. It's just this beautiful picture here where David loved Jonathan. And because of his love for Jonathan, he finds favor in Mephibosheth. It had nothing to do with his relationship with Mephibosheth. He didn't even know him. And so it is with us, with, with God. God finds favor in you. God finds favor in me, not because of our greatness. It's because of our relationship with, with Christ, because the Father has this pleasing relationship with his son, Jesus. Because of that relationship, and because of our relationship with Jesus, now we are pleasing to the Father. Isn't that beautiful? That Mephibosheth had, had nothing to do with this favor. It was just simply because David, or Jonathan, had found favor in David's eyes. Because Christ is pleasing to his heavenly Father. We have been pleasing to our heavenly Father. It's absolutely beautiful. Both Jesus and David show acts of kindness. A lot of people think of, they, they picture God as being like this God of wrath or just this God of love. And I don't think you can isolate those characteristics. I think he's, that he's both. And, it, and it's good for him to be both. We want our God to be a God of justice. That's good for us. That means when there's injustice going on, the injustices will be punished. They won't be just wiped under the rug. Uh, and so here, it was common. It would have been right for the new regime to wipe out the old regime. It would have been common in that time for that to happen. So when, when Mephibosheth was coming to the throne, he thought he was coming to a throne of justice. That's why he fell on his face, begged him. But what he didn't realize was that David was not operating out of his throne of justice, but out of a throne of grace. That he was extending kindness and mercy to him. Just as Christ, when we beg him, he is showing us his throne of grace, not the throne of justice. But there will be some who face his throne of justice. They will have to answer to his wrath. But if, you have, if you're in Christ, then the wrath is not going to be on you. That he's found favor in you. We also see here this parallel that David provides for the needs of Mephibosheth. God provides for our needs. 
You see this relationship. He takes care of everything that he ever will need. God does the same for us. The last uh, comparison here, how David points us to Jesus, is David made Mephibosheth um, a part of his family. We saw that in verse 11, that, that he will... Uh, he invited him to be at the table like one of the king's sons. Um, he adopted him in. He, he made him one. Um, that's what happens with us. We are, we are, I mentioned this last week, that we are family. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. We have one father. I was with a young man this past week from China who visited last Sunday uh, to MCF. First time ever being in church. And um, I got to sit down with him this past week, and I just see the Lord working in this young man's life. And we were sitting there having lunch, and, uh, and, we were, and I was asking him questions about China, and he said that being from China, that he, is, uh, he, he has no siblings, because in China, for his parents' generation, they could only have one child, and so he was the only child. And he said he always wanted to have brothers and sisters. And I just smiled real big. I was just so encouraged. I said, you know, in Christ, you know what we are? We're brothers. That we have different skin, but we have the same father. And I just love this picture that God has adopted us in, that we are, we are heirs. Uh, just as Christ, who Christ, he had every right to the throne. We were enemies. But we've been adopted in. And now we're no longer enemies. We're friends. We're, we're part of this family. My, um, my wife's sister, Olivia's sister, uh, she, she adopted a little girl from Ethiopia. And so there's, there's four of them. Um, and so one of the four is from Ethiopia. The other three were um, birth um, children. And uh, I, I love just this picture of adoption of how um, Evan, who is from, from Ethiopia, Evan has the exact same rights to the inheritance of, of uh, my sister-in-law as the other three children do, legally. Legally, she is the same legally as the other three. She has a different skin color, but she has the same rights. That's her mom and dad. On paper, it looks the same as the other three children. And I love that picture of adoption. That Bryson and, and Emily, they went to Ethiopia and saw Evan and got to bring her. Evan didn't, she wasn't there going, oh, I, I'll take you to be my mom and dad. Now, adoption works where they come in, the parents come in and just show incredible kindness to someone without hope. And Evan lived in this orphanage in Ethiopia, and they got to go rescue her. And that's what they call it. It's called Rescue Day, where they go and they, they brought her from Ethiopia and brought her here. And, uh, and now her life is completely changed. Uh, and I just, I love that picture. And, you know, here's the, here's the cool part. Even though she looks different on the outside, the inside, her personality, because she's been adopted in, she acts just like a Vogeltanz. 
She acts so much like that family. Uh, it's crazy. Some of the things that she loves and just uh, her personality traits were like, is she really adopted? Because, I mean, it's just like she belongs to them. And so this beautiful picture of how these adopted children begin to take on the characteristics of their adopted family. And I know some people in this room you've adopted, you, you, you've attempted to adopt, you're in that process. And I, I love that picture of, uh, of adoption and just watching how like, those children take on those characteristics of their parents. And I just think for us, we've been adopted in. And what happens to us as children of God? We begin to take on his characteristics, right? We begin to show kindness to others. We begin to forgive others if we have been forgiven. We begin to show mercy as mercy has been shown to us. And so we begin to look like our father, even though that's not our birth father. Oh, I love this picture of adoption. What do we do with this passage? How do we, how do we fit this passage into our context? What do, where do we hang our hat? How do we, how do we live our life that might reflect some of these characteristics? So let me just give you some options. Maybe God's stirring in your soul right now. David was kind and gracious to invite someone to his table. Who are you investing in? Who's someone you can invite along on your journey? You can invite to your table. Physically, it might mean who can you have over for dinner. It might mean who's somebody at work or uh, a roommate, like uh, uh, a classmate. Who's somebody you can invest in that you can meet with like maybe once every other week? Uh, in the morning, maybe for breakfast or for lunch, or maybe college students, I know like you like late night stuff. You might meet late at night, uh, every, every other week, and you just invest in them. You invite them along on your journey. See, that, that's part of, I think, our, our role here as disciples, that we're, people have invested into us, they've poured into us, but we just can't keep receiving. We've got to look back. We've got to look over our shoulder to see who, who can we bless? Who can we pour into? I think oftentimes we wonder, you know, who, you know when, when are, when are we going to have, like, programs to, like, where I can, you know, invite people to come and be a part of, of MCF? What's the program we invite people to? When do we bring them here? And I just, just want to challenge you, like, Instead of looking like, how can I invite people here? Why don't you begin to look out your front door? How can I go across the street? How can I go next door? You know, who around you, who has God placed in your life? You don't live on your street for an accident. You don't, the dorm you live in is not by accident. God has placed you there because there's people that he's trying to draw in, just like Mephibosheth. God's trying to draw in people, and he's put you as his son, as his daughter, so that you can show kindness to someone else, that you can graft them in, Galatians talks about. Who are you inviting to be a part of your story to your table? I also just want you to just pray about the idea of adoption. 
This is a, I think it would do a disservice to this passage if we don't talk about adoption this morning. You know, as the heated topic in this country right now is abortion. And, and you know, there's a lot of backlash. Oh, well, if we don't abort them, what are we going to do with all these babies? Man, give them to us. You know, pray. Pray that God would open up your heart to abortion. Or, sorry. Do not record that. Please, when we uh, put that on the internet, please uh, edit that, Ben. Pray that God would open up your heart to adoption. That you'd be willing to just go, man, I, I will take in this child. I will take this child in. When you do that, guess what you're, you're painting a picture of? What God has done with us. That God's adopted us in. And I love that some of you, you've, you've already started that journey. You've been praying about adoption. Some of you have already done it. You've adopted and I just It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. And I know you don't do it to, to have someone to uh, affirm you and say, oh, look at you. Look how incredible you are. You do it because like, you just love those children. And so I just challenge you to pray about uh, adoption. Would you be willing to adopt? There's a lot of agencies uh, that you can work through if you, are, if you have questions on that. Just write on your connection card under prayer request. Uh, I would like to learn more about adoption. And then put it in the offering box and we'll, we'll uh, connect you with some resources. Maybe adoption is not for you. Uh, for us right now, we've been praying about adoption. Um, and just in the season of life, we don't feel like that is where God has um, put us in this season. Maybe, maybe later, um, we'd love to adopt. Um, but right now, we've been praying more about foster care. Um, and maybe that's where God's, you know, I just want to challenge you to pray about that. If maybe not adoption, maybe you open up your home to foster children. We have people that work in, in that, um, in the foster care system, who'd love. So if that's you this morning, right on your connection card, under prayer request. I'd like to know more about how to be a foster parent. Uh, pray. Pray. Ask God to open up your heart to those opportunities. Those are big responsibilities to adopt, to be a foster parent. Maybe you're not quite there yet. Then I just want to challenge you to Volunteer. That you volunteer at Spring Hill Elementary. Uh, there's opportunities on Friday afternoon. If that doesn't work, there's opportunities um, during every weekday to tutor. Uh, Lauren, what time is tutoring there? 3 to 5.30. Um, every day you could get involved in just, in just really investing in some children. Um, if that doesn't work, you can um, just invest in the A.D. Lewis Center or Fairfield East. We have people from this congregation that every week go to one of those two ministries, um, Fairfield East, A.D. Lewis Center, um, and just invest in the community. Um, I, I, I really, I feel like God's called me to coach. Uh, and so right now, like I, I'm involved in Little League Baseball. Um, that is a way that you can get involved in this community. You're going to have 10, 12 kids that you're going to meet with a couple times a week for just a season. And you get to invest in them and just really teach them what it means to be a man or a woman. 
uh, of God. And, and what I love about Little League Baseball is part of their, um, part of their uh, teaching is, is that there's a God. And so you can actually talk about God um, at practice. It's incredible. So if you want to be a part of that, talk to me. I would love to think, what would it look like if people from this congregation, if we began the, like, like in Little League, like what if we were the coaches of Little League Baseball? Do you think that would change what that would look like in that community? Absolutely. But those kids, you know, we're probably not going to just, if we ever go door to door witnessing and talk to them, they're not going to know us to come here. But I love how David went to, the, went to uh, Mephibosheth. We got to go to them. We can't wait for them to come to us. We got to go. God's called us to go. How are you investing in the community here in Huntington? God brought you here for a reason. It's not for the job. That might be how you paid the bills to do ministry in this community. I really, I really believe that God brought you to Huntington, not because of a job, but because there's someone in this community that needs to hear about God's kindness and mercy. And you might be the means to share that grace and mercy to them. How are you getting involved? How are you reaching this community? Who are you inviting to be a part of your story, to be a part of God's bigger story? It's an incredible picture here of David reaching out to someone in need of hope. And I think it gives us a picture of what we should do, that we go out and we give hope to this community. That's what MCF's about. It's not about building this kingdom here. It's about going outside these walls, reaching this community for his sake. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning I pray that we would be overwhelmed with this beautiful picture of adoption. That we deserve death. just as Mephibosheth we were enemies we were part of a different prince we followed our father Satan and yet you brought us into your kingdom and you've made us heirs heirs with Christ and now we have promises, we have benefits because of our relationship with you. <clears throat> I pray that we were encouraged this morning about what you've done in our lives, how you've brought us into your family. Lord, may we invite others to be a part of this story. Lord, give us eyes to see the brokenness of this city that there's children who are hurting. There are children who are without hope. And we belong to a kingdom where we will never go without. Provisions are just always going to be there. We cannot run out of provisions in your kingdom. So may we just keep passing those provisions out to others. 
May we invite people along. Give us eyes to see who you've put in our lives. Whether it's the coworker, it's the neighbor, it's the lady at the supermarket. the children that we pass every day I don't know Lord give us eyes to see (coughs) Lord give us boldness give us boldness to proclaim your name may we not be ashamed of your gospel so Lord help us to uh, to make an impact in this community for your name's sake Lord, I pray that you stir up our hearts for foster care, for adoption. That we would rescue children from terrible situations. That we would be Christ to them. Lord, we thank you for rescuing us. When we were crippled, when we were lame, you invited us to the table. We had no right at your table, Lord. We didn't belong to be there. But out of your grace and your mercy, your kindness in Christ, you found favor in us. We found favor in you. We love you. Amen.